Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys, or you can check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Lots of cool pictures. But most importantly, I have a lot of giveaways, you know, that books, CDs, all types of things, gift cards. So I would suggest that you follow on social media. And also now you can listen to the show on Spotify, uh, Insta, uh, uh, in iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Uh, wow, so many places. So when you're there, follow, leave comments, rate, everything. We love it. This morning, wow, an icon really and the mother of an icon, uh, Cheryl Boyce Taylor. She is a poet. And she is a writer. She has four books of poetry already out herself. Uh, She uh, has different poetry groups that she has started. She earned her MFA in poetry from Stone Coast, the University of Southern California, Maine, and an MFW from Fordham University. And she uh, has had her poetry um, published in a variety of uh, articles, uh, literature. Um, Her poetry was commissioned by the Joyce Theater and the National Endowment for the Arts for Ronald K. Brown Evidence, a dance company. Um, She's a Vona Fellow. Her work has been published in Poetry, Prairie Schooner, Aloud, Voices from the New York Poets Cafe, Pluck, Killing Journal of Arts and Letters, and many other places. Her life papers and portfolio are stored at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in New York City. Wow. So I am so honored to have her today. I believe she's on the line here. Let me see. Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I got a little tongue tied there, but I think I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no reason for tongue tying. (laughs) No, it's really an honor to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Wow. So this is a big topic. I mean, I'm a mother, and reading the book was was difficult. I'll tell you that. It was difficult for me because, you know, I had to stop sometimes and think, you know, like my daughter, that was one of the fears I would have. I have had. I remember she went to college, and I had this fear of losing her, you know. Um, So for you to share such intimate feelings, details, uh, as a mother, I really, you know, my heart was, was there with you. Um, were you concerned about what you put in and what you put out? 
what did you oh, leave things yes. out that you should have put in? <laughs> and let me tell you, I still am, and I, I you know, I, I'm. I know that this work is going to help someone, particularly because we are at a time in our country where so many people have lost so many people that they love. The point of the book is to tell my story, yes, but to also let people know there are so many ways to mourn. There's no right way or wrong way, and there are so many ways to heal. And this was just, this is just my story about what I went through. And, you know, Malik had left home, or Fife, as people call him, home when he was very young, 16, to um, Mm -hmm. go on tour with the Tribe Called Quest and work with them. And even in those years, you know, I knew I couldn't stop him because I knew that this was his dream, and I wanted to support him in everything. We had always had art in our home, and I was a theater major. He'd go with me to theater and everything. So I know when someone has found their heart's niche. But for years, I worried. I wouldn't let him know how much I worried when he would fly overseas. And so, in a way, I've always worried a little bit about losing him. And then I knew that he had type 1 diabetes and a kidney condition. But he was doing so well. You know, he had had a kidney transplant and had gone back to dialysis. So there were a lot of medical things going on, but it never stopped him from working. The last Yeah, album I mean that's the important was- thing. He was he was such a fighter, you know, that that's what something people may not have known what he was going through and it showed what a fighter right, he was right. in the stories that right. you shared and how, you know, even the art for him probably was healing because I remember in the book you talk about a time where, like, right before he had to go on, he had to get several uh, doses of dialysis, and then he just went on and he just lit up the stage, you know? And I was like, wow, you know? Yes. All the time. He did that all the time. And and, and those are the other things I want to share. His fans know Fife, but I wanted them to know Malik and some of the driving forces behind his healing and his work. From the outside, it looks like, wow, they were young. They started their music and they did well. You know, the the things that propelled him and the the things that he suffered with diabetes, because it is a very dangerous disease. I am also a type 1 diabetic. And, mm-hmm. you know, you sometimes when you get a medical diagnosis, take time, take care of yourself, but please don't stop living. Don't let it pull you down to that place where you no longer live your dream. And so... Yeah, I think that's really uh, important. I mean, a, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of different illnesses, and they some illnesses, they look fine on the outside, like your son, you know, he looked like he was healthy and successful and having fun, mm-hmm. but on the inside, things are going on. But let's talk about yes. you a little bit. You have been a poet before him. You were here before him, um, and uh, I read a funny story that um, one day you had begged your mom to take you to a poetry reading, 
but it was your bedtime. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, my my mom tells told this story. She passed away now. But she said when I was two years old, she was already in the arts. She didn't write her own poetry or poems, but she loved plays. And so she was going off to a poetry reading that night. And I came up and said, I want to go. I want to go. And she said, no, it's past your bedtime, because it was like after seven. She said, no, it's past your bedtime. You can't go. And I begged and begged. And she said, okay, if you can get yourself dressed, you can go. She didn't know I could dress myself. I dressed myself <laughs> and came out of the room. The only thing she had to do was button my dress up the back. <laughs> and she said, oh, oh God. God, I've got to take up. So she took me. And I like to think that that was the beginning of me falling in love with poetry. Now, my yeah, mother and- memorized a lot of poems and and, re- and recited them to the house. So that was the other thing that caught my little heart. So I, I fell in love with poetry and performance That's really poetry. great. Yes, because, you know, a lot of parents, well, here in the United States at least, um, People are like, you have to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you, you know, get your education, be a teacher, you know. Becoming an artist is not at the top of the list uh, for most people for their children. They want them to get the MBA or, you know, become an engineer, all these types of things. So when a child decides they want to yes. be an artist, it's like, yes. uh, this is this sigh of like, uh. But with your history from your mom to you, and then Malik, you can see this generational support, which was so important. And you have been successful. Your son has been successful. And because that light was, 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 was kept, you know, burning, so to speak, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Through the generations. I think that's important. Um, now, one thing I also learned, you, you, I just want to tell the audience, your family is from Trinidad. You're from Trinidad. And um, yes. I was reading that uh, in your schooling, you guys had to recite poetry a lot. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, that was very much a part of the Trinidadian culture. From what I hear from friends now, it was very much a Caribbean thing, all of the Caribbean islands. I could only speak about Trinidad. And on Tuesday evenings, our t- oh, not Tuesday afternoons, our teacher would take us outside under the tree. And ahead of that time, we had been given a poem to memorize. And so we went Mm -hmm. out there to recite. Oh, I love that so much, you know, like out in the open under the tree, hearing the birds and then hearing my classmates recite their poems. I don't know why that, that has always struck me. But it did, and I just want to add that my mother wanted me to do poetry, but she wanted me to get a skill. So that's why I went on and became a social worker, because she said, you have a child, you can't just do poetry. It doesn't bring in any money. (laughs) Yes, I know. I, I was an actress. I was an actress, you know, in a younger life. But I had to work, you know, several jobs because I still had to take care of my daughter. And, you know, that becomes a a priority. But what I find is if you don't have an outlet for your art, you can become angry. um, You become sad. You, it's like it can become 
just eat away at you. Um, and sometimes you may take it out on other people, but really all you need is was the that art. That is the truth. That is the mm-hmm. truth. You need an outlet. And very early, um, my son, my son's dad would take him, they would go to soccer games and football games. And I realized that I needed to have something for myself as well. And yes. so that's mm-hmm. when I, I really thought, I thought I was in, going to York College then, and I became a theater major. So I've had my little theater experience too. But it, yeah. it made me so happy because that was for me. And I was a young mom. Like I, I became Lee's mom when I was 19. So I had to learn how to carve out something for myself. And my mother was very instrumental. She said, you you can't just be a mother. It's a lovely thing. But you are young. Have something that you love, too. So she gave me a lot of good advice, you know. Some yeah, wow. I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, a lot of people are like, no, this, you got to give that up now. You, you're a mom. You need to focus on taking care of your kid, taking care of your husband. You know, you're going to have to wait until the child is grown, um, yes. wait, or you should have done something. You shouldn't have had the baby in the first place, you know, that whole conversation. Um, so, so again, you very fortunate, you know, with that. Now, um, I read that uh, you, Audrey Lord, came up to you one day, and what did she say to you? Oh, <laughs> well, um, a friend took me to a reading, again, a poetry reading, they had inaugurated the Roosevelt Library at Hunter College for Audre Lorde. They named it for her. And so I went there. And um, at the reception after, she was walking around saying hello to everybody. I was really, really in awe of her. <laughs> Almost <laughs> afraid to say anything. And I'm a big talker, yeah. but I was, oh, no. So she came over and she said, and who are you? <laughs> Oh, boy. Like, You're talking to me? And she said, who are you? And I told her, you know, Cheryl. And she said, and what do you do? I said, I'm a poet. And she said, oh, good. She said, I am having a class with about 10 women of color in the fall, and I want you to join that class. Mm. So I, I said, oh, I'm not a student here. I don't go here. She said, Oh, that's even better. I'm inviting you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, God. And um, this was like in June. So the whole summer I agonized because I didn't think I was good enough. I had been writing for a long time, but I was like, I can't go sit in a class. I'll waste that time. But anyway... Mm. Finally, um, I was studying with another teacher at that time, Cheryl Clark. She's a very well-known um, poet. And mm-hmm. I told her what she had invited me. She said, go to her class. You're going to do well. And so I went to her class. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my writing life. But by the time I was done that semester, I knew I wanted to be a poet more than I wanted to be a daughter, a wife, a mother. This was what I wanted to be. And Mm. and I finally realized it. And um, so I I really took it seriously. Because she would say poetry is not a luxury. 
Don't do Mm -hmm. this if you're just wasting your time. Or if you think, oh, this is going to make me cute, everyone's going to see me, I'm going to make money. She said it's none of that. Wow. And she was now so you started. She's already ill then. Oh, really? Okay. So she was she was dealing yes, with something. Right so she was really trying she to. She went to think. Yeah. Mm. You know, that's. Um, she was trying to pass on her knowledge, I think, probably to as oh, many people as she could. There, yeah. Yeah, she did mm-hmm. that with the whole class. She was not playing. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're from Trinidad, like I mentioned, um, and you started a, a group a poetry reading series, um, the Calypso. Um, news reading series. Did you have difficulty with publishers because of your uh, training, you know, poetry? What was the reception from the American publishers? I did have difficulties getting things published when I wrote in dialect. I had difficulties. But also, I was part of the New Rican Poets Cafe. I, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, in New York, reading all around I'd read at Rikers Island, uh, homeless shelters in Queens. So I had been reading around for quite a bit. So I got a lot of readings, not as much publishing at that time because of the dialect work. But I was determined that I was never going to stop that. That was the, mo- the thing that was nearest and dearest to my heart. Yeah, and now and you passed that, 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 that on to... Change. Yeah, and you passed I'm this sorry, love on to Malik. I said you passed this love on to Malik, um, and it yes. started with him having to write stories for you. Um, he stayed with his grandmother one summer, I read, and he yes, asked he him to write stories. What, what did you ask him? Tell us a little more about that. Oh, well, he didn't want to go to summer camp at the Y that summer, and I told him, and he said, oh, I want to be with my grandmother because we cook and this, and I knew that there was a lot of playtime woven into that excuse. <laughs> so I said to him, I don't I don't mind, but you have to stop once a day and write me a note telling me what you're doing. You can write me a poem or a letter, but some communication, written communication to let me know what you're doing. I still have that little notebook that I made for him. I made a journal for him. And he wrote wow. Some some of the poems are in the book. Some of his yes, poems when he mm-hmm. was nine and ten, they're in the book. So I, I'm really proud of that. I've always been one to keep a, keep all his writings. And so I was yeah, really so that's, that's at nine or ten. At nine or ten, yes, the, the, nine. the poem one of the poems in the book was very political. Um, and uh, talking about, you know, the death of, you know, a, a young uh, black boy. Also, a, he was talking boy, to yeah. parents, you know, a piece of yes, mind, he, that poem. <laughs> he was telling yes, parents, like, you need to get it together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, he, he so was writing really a lot nice of things. Yeah, huh? and, you know, he was very rambunctious, it seems. He um, wanted to have his own birthday party. He, he, uh, oh, yeah. In the book, you talk about him having his own birthday party and orchestrating this yes. whole, you know, he, he almost like a production. His own birthday. He wanted to host his own birthday party when he was four. You know, it was a daycare, daycare party. And on the way there, he told us, well, I want to host my own birthday party. We were like, what? Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he, 
said, and and you know, he when they when we took out the cake, he stood up and he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts." We were like, "Where is he getting all of this from?" And he walked around, you know, he walked around. The, How are you liking the party? Are you having a good time? Do you like <laughs> Oh, God. He was such a little ham. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we began yeah, to those see, are some... you know, the, uh, we began yeah. to see art and theater in him. Mm-hmm. At an early age, at an early age. Yes. Yeah, so now, um. I, I think that was great, and I, um, you know, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that those were such precious moments that you shared with us. Thank you. You didn't have to, you know, and, and, and now, where were you when he passed away? Do you remember where you were when you received the call? That's in the book, I believe, as well. You talk about yes, that. Yes, Um He lived on the West Coast, and I was in New York, and he had just finished two weeks before that he had he had wrapped the last tribe album and he had finished his own solo album which will be out early next year his solo album and mm-hmm. so um i was in new york and i was with with my partner we had gone to dinner and we had just picked up the the invitations for our celebration of 20 years of a relationship and we, I got home, and I hadn't been answering my phone when I was out. I got home, and there were like eight phone calls from my daughter-in-law and from his manager. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, this does not look good. Because, you know, there were times he'd go in and out of the hospital. And, right. you know, I had gotten to the place where when I saw my daughter-in-law calling, I would get nervous. Or when I saw him calling or his manager, I would get nervous because I always thought, mm. okay, he's in the hospital, he's sick, whatever. And, um, that, yeah, so my daughter-in-law had been calling me, and she said, you know, are you are you lying down? And I was like, yeah, but I'm not asleep. And she said, I want to talk to you. Um, they can read the book to see what she said. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get too much away. Actually, actually, you know, I didn't put the actual transcript of what she and I said in the book. You know, the the readers, the yeah. reader can just imagine what that conversation right. was. So when yeah. you asked no, me I mean, about that's, how, yeah. when you asked me Go about ahead. how I wrote the book and how I put so many personal things in there, there were some things I couldn't put in there because I felt that I. I had to keep them near my heart and if I didn't I would be be, one of the things that I feared the most was that I would forget about Malik I don't know why it occurred to me that way I was so Mm -hmm. afraid he died in March I was so afraid when December came around because I thought when the year changed he would be gone from my life that was part Mm. of my grieving process it wasn't um it wasn't a real thing but it was what i was experiencing do you know what i mean yes yeah no definitely you know. that's um something that um i've worked with a, a grief group um it was an organization i worked with here in philadelphia and it was all for women who had lost their their children 
Um, and oh. they had a grief support group. And, you know, I, I remember the first time I had, as a social worker, um, I was supposed to go and um, facilitate the group. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I was nervous because I have my child. And I felt like yes. I didn't belong. I didn't need to be the facilitator in this room of these women who had lost their children. Like, you know, were they going to look at me like, who is she, you know? Um, yeah. But I tried to go in, you know, with an open heart and just to be honest and not try to, you know, put on some kind of airs or, you know, yeah. act like I knew actually what they were feeling. Um, and okay. everybody was at a different stage. And, and that's something yeah. that, you know, been about like forgetting. Um, and that's part of the thing of moving on, you know, because you're constantly holding on yeah. and not looking forward, you know. So, yeah. I, I remember the first time that I laughed out loud at something. I I stopped myself quickly. I was like, oh, what, what the hell are you laughing at? You don't even have your child. You know, this was what mm-hmm. went through my head. And actually, you know, I wrote the book, like, the f- first, and I wasn't writing the book. I was writing in my journal, you know, the first three years that he had passed away. That was that was the period when I wrote the book because I started writing because all in my mind was I was going to forget everything because I remember once I turned to my partner and I said, was my brother at the funeral? And she looked mm. at me and she said, yes. And I was like, oh. So this is when I thought, okay, I'm losing my mind and I, I was forgetting so much phone numbers, names of people. It was a terrible time. Yeah, you yeah. talk about in the book, you know, the the physical pain, the mental pain that you were going through. And even that moment, yeah. like you said, you in one of the poems, you, you like, oh, my God, that whole phrase of, like, I was happy, but then, wait, I wanted to go back to being sad. You know, it's in one yeah. of your poems in there. Um, yeah. And, you know, like one I of the things, him. yes, yes, like, how can I be happy? You know, he's not here. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. This is not the first child you lost. I'm not sure if the audience realizes that, and that's something you bring up in the book as well. Um, how was his death, was it more or less than your first child? Because you had twins initially. Well, it, it was Malik's, Malik's twins. I had twins yeah. when I had Malik, and mm-hmm. um, he, Michael was his name. He only lived for eight hours, so we were still in the hospital and everything because in those years, they, they kept you about three days. So he he lived for eight hours. I never got to see him because I had a fever, and in those days, they wouldn't let you go to the nursery. Mm. So um, my husband and my mother saw him. They took them in to see him. But nevertheless, Malik was premature. He was 2 pounds, 15 ounces. And so instead of having the, the, the time to mourn that baby, my big fear was that I was going to lose Malik too. And so I was totally focused on on keeping him alive and keeping myself healthy. And, oh, it was a crazy time because I was 19 years old. So that was, right. you know, What do we know at 19? Very young. What do, 
What would you tell we, your nine year old self nothing. now? You know nothing. What would you tell her? Nothing. What would you tell her that might help her? When what would you tell the yourself as a the nineteen year old? Oh, I would tell her to cry. Your family has you. I remember that meaning my mother and her sister came to the hospital like an hour or two after Malik was born. And when they came Mm -hmm. to the hospital, they had a plan of how they were going to take care of me and these babies. And they said, my aunt said, we're going to keep one baby one week and then we'll change the next week. They had the whole thing laid out. And so, you know, had I been, yes. So had I been thinking correctly, I would know that they I, they had me. They were going to take care of me no matter what. But I was afraid and young, and, you know, my husband was upset too, so I didn't know what to make of it, you know. I don't mm. even know if I believed in therapy at that time. No, probably not, because some Caribbean families believe, don't go to therapy and tell our business. Right. So, and right. I think that's one of the reasons I I went into social work because I learned <laughs> that there. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the now reasons because I learned no therapy works. Yeah, it does work, and it's important. And I think you were giving your son a tool by teaching him about journaling and expressing himself at an early age, where yes. most black yes. men, most men, black or white, yellow, green, are not taught about their feelings and how where to express them. You're either angry, you're machismo, you're mad. Yes. There's only like maybe four four emotions that you can have. Any other feeling is foreign and they really don't know how to process at all. Um and, and, that's, and that's what our a big issue. Support. Our culture mm-hmm. supports that and it's not good. Yeah. No, no. Now, the book initially wasn't called Mama Fife Represents. It was called The Gift. No, uh, it was called Gift. No? Called Which one Gift. was called? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why did you change uh, so, it? Say that again. Why did you change the title? Well, um, it, the Tribe Called Quest, which is the group that Malik was a part of, they have a very popular song where they say tribe call quest represent represent tribe call quest represent represent that's that's a, mm-hmm. a, a re, the refrain of it and it's a very popular song and so right. one of my friends said to me and 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 he and his friends always called me mama fife so my friend said why don't you just use mama fife represent and that <laughs> you know because i am representing malik and my family life. So I decided, yeah, I like that. So I switched from gift. To, and I had gone through a lot of names with Malik, you know, saying, think of this name. What do you think of that name? Because I was handing in the book. I was finishing the book that year that he died. So um, not this, it wasn't this particular um, book, but it was some, some of the stories were in there like the anecdotes mm-hmm. about him. And right. so I would ask him, what do you think about this title for this book I'm working on? It's going to be about this and this. And we had all this conversation about it. So 
So it, it it did indeed change after he died. Then it became, you know, my my healing that I was going through. And I was in therapy for three and a half years. I really want to add that I haven't gotten back on my feet by myself. My my family, my partner, my daughter-in-law, oh, so much help and care. Mm. We really cared for each other. Because yes, they had been because, to, you they know, had been together like eighteen years, right? I was gonna, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they had a child, you know, they were caring for that he considered his son. Um, yes, my daughter, um, yes, he was um, Malik's stepson, my daughter-in-law's right. son. We met him when he was two years old, so he's yeah. really, he's he's going to be twenty-five next month. <laughs> been in the family Is he into for the a very long time. I'm sorry. Is he into the arts? Is this is the son into the arts at all? No, he's a computer man. <laughs> <laughs> he Look is at a that! Look at that! Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. Now, what would you tell a young poet who's maybe struggling right now at this moment with their work? What What is some advice you can give them? I will tell that poet. Write something every day. It does not have to rhyme, but write something every day, whether it's a poem or thoughts about the poem. Just write your thoughts down and read. And when when things get back together again, go to open mics. But right now they could go to readings on Zoom. They could listen to, you know, hear different readings that are happening just mm-hmm. involve yourself in the work that that you want to be good at and never give up because the more you write, the better you get. Mm. Mm. Even Very when good. you don't Very like good. what you've written, keep at it. And do revisions so and look back at things you've written before and see what you like the most and then strive for writing writing like that with the piece you love the most. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like solid advice from someone who is a well-renowned poet. You guys better listen. Uh, someone who was a mom <laughs> who raised a superstar. Um, you know, um, I think you guys better listen to those words. Thank you so, so much for writing the book. Um, I think it will help you. heal, you know? Yes. Yes, um, this time with the COVID and people losing uh, people left and right, even though half the country yeah. thinks we don't have it, that it's some fake disease, but it's not. I know people who oh, have gosh. lost people. I know doctors who have lost oh, their yeah. colleagues, oh, you know, yeah. you know, oh, like yes. just boom, boom, why, boom. I don't know how and why we got to believe in that that was fake. But that is so crazy because they're not killing them in the hospitals. And if they are, then we still should be thinking about that and doing something about it. But I don't know how they're letting, how we're letting this happen. It's so confusing to me. How have you been dealing with the COVID? How, what has your family done to protect themselves, um, the steps in, that you've taken? Well, we don't go out. <laughs> we don't visit okay. people. We our mm-hmm. the highlight of the day now is to the supermarket or the drugstore. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 70 years old now, so I'm taking care of myself. But we really don't go out. But we have we um, play Zoom games on, like for Christmas, my partner's family, all of us had to make a video, and then we okay. we had a little party Christmas Eve. We showed the video. You know, we we've just gotten to living our lives on Zoom. And, of course, yeah. you know, calling up friends and family, that's still something that I always did because I'm old school. So, you know, <laughs> speaking to people on the phone, <laughs> you know. The, and, young people uh, don't know anything about that. Visited me. Huh? Okay. I said young people don't know anything about the phone. They text. Everything is a text. Yes, yes I know. But they, they could get into the phone, too. It really brings you closer to your people. It is. Uh, my know. family, we were doing that as well. We were doing the Zoom thing once a week. My mom, I can't go see my mom. I haven't oh, seen my mom funny. in like, you know, almost a year now. Um, oh. I, I only talk to her and see her on the, on the, you know, she lives in a different state. So I, 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 I don't oh. want to go travel to see her because I'm not comfortable. Yes. And she can't travel to see me because, you know, she's 71. So, you know, it's the Zoom. Yes. Um, yesterday was Christmas. Um, we did uh, a Zoom dinner, you know, for Christmas. Yeah. Um, oh, and happy yes. Kwanzaa, everybody. This is the first day of Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa. Umoja. Yes, yes, happy Kwanzaa, everybody. <laughs> hmm hmm Well, thank you again. I mean, wow. I feel very blessed to have spoken to you, to have uh, read this book. And people, bring a box of tissue with you, but you'll also have some funny <laughs>, laughs. You know, there's some really great, funny stories. And I love the ice cream truck story. I'm not going to say it. Don't say it. Let them oh, find yeah. out. Yes, yes. But the ice cream truck story, I was like, oh, my God, I can see his face, okay? Um, anyway, and, and blueberry yogurt. Blueberry yogurt was another great story. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. That was mm-hmm. – that was a good one. I, I'm not telling you, you guys have to get the book. I'm going to be giving away some copies oh, of your great, book. Okay. Great. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Thank you. And well, you have a wonderful um, weekend, know. okay? Go ahead. No, what were okay. You say? Just one more thing. I don't know if you know, and I will send you the, the link for the first reading that we'll be having, the inaugural reading from the book. And the person who's joining me for conversation is Hanif Abdurraqib, and he wrote Go Ahead in the Rain, and that is the story of a tribe called Quest. Okay, wonderful. What date is that? I, I Are you going to send me the info? Uh, that is Jan- okay. January 7th at 7 o'clock. It's, it's through Haymarket Books, their YouTube channel. I will send you the link for the Eventbrite. Eventbrite okay, so. okay, good. And then I'll, I'll send that post that. Um, I'll post that on the social media so people can um, attend and and support. Yes. It's really important to support support artists. Yeah, we're having a conversation, and I will also be reading some of the poems from the book. Great, great. Well, thank you again. Have a wonderful weekend, okay? okay? You and your family, be safe. Stay healthy. All right, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I um, just got off the phone with poet Cheryl Boyce-Taylor. She's the mom of what you might think of as Fife Dogs or Malik Taylor, a poet from A Tribe Called Quest. Um, Her new book is out, Mama Fife Represents, and I'll be giving away some copies of that, so you want to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram. So um, please uh, support this. She's going to be sending me some information about the first reading of the book. I'll post that as well on social media. She's also on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. So you can follow her there. I'm sure she'll be posting it there. And the book was put out by Haymarket. So you can follow them. And also I'm sure they'll be posting because it's going to be on their YouTube channel, uh, this first reading. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate that all these years, um, you guys downloading, even when I took a break, I really, I really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed them. This was a wonderful show today. If you know anybody who's interested in poetry or like Tribe Call Quest, they can still listen. This will be archived on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. You guys have a great weekend. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at autismspeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.